I'm Adam Christopher and welcome to the Active Training Team podcast where we talk about sharing ideas and increasing engagement in safety leadership. At ATT, we use drama to explore behaviour in the world of safety, health and well-being. Our interactive training is delivered to people at all levels of the construction industry. We use film, live drama and facilitated workshops to maximise engagement that will help lead to culture change. We go to great lengths to make sure every situation that we bring to life rings true. A few weeks ago, I got a call from one of our facilitators, Laura Forrest Hay. Laura is one of the leads at EPIC, ATT's safety induction programme for the Thames Tideway Tunnel Project, London's new £5 billion super sewer. Laura had spent the day with Chris McMicken, Tony Carter and Robbie Nixon, three former miners now working as tunnellers on the Tideway project. Between them, they have decades of mining experience and they know just how dangerous it can be. Every coal miner, you could go, he's probably got half a dozen at least, what you'd call a sliding door moment, where he stopped and thought, God, if I had carried on or if I'd have done that, I wouldn't be here today. That's Chris, and I'm sure many of us can identify with what he just said. But it was what Chris, Robbie and Tony told us about their personal experience that brought to mind James Reason's Swiss cheese theory and inspired this episode of the podcast. Their conversation with Laura and me is a stark reminder that it's not just procedure, but also workplace culture informed by behaviour and attitudes that need to be strong to keep people safe. Emotion and familiarity, more often than not, also have a part to play. Chris, Robbie and Tony have reflected on a tragic and very avoidable incident which had terrible consequences for the miners at the Maltby Colliery near Rotherham in South Yorkshire. One man, Jack Fisher, lost his life and many others were affected by that loss. I'm grateful to the guys for sharing their story. So let's begin with the build-up to that incident. It was late one afternoon in December 2009. Here's Robbie Nixon. I can remember everything about it. Or something like 7th of December that this incident happened. I turned up for work around afters and then they told me my mate Ray, he didn't turn up. So I had like three zones. Blue, green and red zones. So I had seven kilometres. Robbie was a command supervisor, an official in the mine. It was his job to walk the tunnels and check in with all the men on shift, either face-to-face on the tannoy or phone. This is a huge underground area, and Robbie was supervising twice the area that he normally would. Robbie had already covered three miles, and he was still some distance from the pit bottom. Comes round, check through the pony garage, and as I come round... One of the fitters says, Jesus Christ, well, they've been screaming for you. On Tannoy, we have a Tannoy system. But on the return, you don't have no Tannoy system, you'd have telephones. So I said, OK, you've got to ring Pit Bottom. And as I gets to the phone, the phone rings. You better get down. Jack has gone down, fell down the sump. He's not answering. So OK, no problem. Puts the phone down. Gets on the belt, the man rider, top man rider. So I'm thinking in my head, how, how's he f- fallen? The only thing I can think is, he's gone down the ladders, 
and the ladders have collapsed. So my next thing is, how am I going to get to him? Thinking, I've got to get to him quick. Never mind this, that, other, I've got to get to him quick. Robbie knows something has happened to his colleague, Jack. Is it a life or death situation? Well, he knows it's serious because of what's just been said to him. Robbie's extensive emergency training starts to kick in. First of all, I've got to get my first aid equipment. Then I've got to get my morphine, because I will train to give morphine. What am I going to come to? What scenario am I going to come to? I don't know what state he is, where he is, anything. So that's going through my mind. How am I going to get to him? So I'm thinking, right, there's things that we throw yet when something like this happens, right? But Jack isn't the first person Robbie has to help. It's Glenn, the man who was supposed to be relieving Jack at the end of his shift. So I get to the pit bottom. Glenn's there. Management were on phone to him. He's panicking. I could see he's panicking. You know what I mean? So I grabs all the phone, I put it down. Leave it. Take note of that phone. Sit down. Tell me what's happened. He's gone through this scenario. So I said, right, I've got to go down and see him. But one of the shaftmen come up. He says, Rob, don't go down. He says he's dead. Now, we can't pronounce him dead. It's not, we can't do that. But within minutes, and I'm talking minutes, there were five lads there, paramedics. I'm dealing with Glenn because he's starting to hyperventilate. He's panicking, panic setting. So I said to him, right, get the stretcher, get him out. So I'm on the telephone to the management then. I was sorting Glenn out, got him on a stretcher, got him out at other pit number three shaft. The paramedic come up and he says he's, he's dead. Jack has been killed having fallen down a sump shaft and his workmate Glenn has gone into shock. Tony Carter knew both Jack and Glenn. I worked at Maltby Corrie from 2004 to 2013 to when it closed. I was uh, an overman and sometimes I was a standing shift manager. On that particular day, Jack had done 12-hour days. He would have come to work, so maybe at 10 past four in the morning. He'd got changed. He'd go down the mine probably at 20 to five. The guy taking Jack off were called Glenn Hansen. I know Glenn quite well. I know Jack quite well. Been at Maltby quite a few years. Glenn went a little bit late taking Jack off. I, not 20 to five, what Jack thinking in his head, and he wondering where he was. Could have been late in traffic. So Jack's a bit irate because he's told the guy upstairs, I need to get out, I need to go and pick my sons up somewhere. So anyway, Glenn gets on the cage to come down and it's a three-deck cage at Maltby. So obviously there's lots of men in a coal mine. You can wind 120 men at maximum to come down. But Glenn is on his own. The surface sends him down to Jack. All Jack's got to do is get him off and get on the cage himself. And then Glenn will send Jack back up. That's how just the lift system, basically. When Glenn comes down, Jack realises that Glenn's not on the right deck. He should have been on the uh, middle deck or the bottom deck. The platforms in the pit bottom, which are lowered to get vehicles on and off and also to let the men walk off, one of the baggage was burst. So that was, the, the platforms wouldn't operate. So Jack is then in more irate and he's shouting at Glenn. Men me late. What Glenn should have done, he should have gone back to the surface, got on the other deck, come back down for sake of five minutes, 10 minutes at the most, and got off the last man deck, but Glenn didn't do that. Glenn was trying to help Jack out as he thought, so Glenn got over a girder. The two platforms what come down rest on girders. 
So Glenn's opened the, the cage, the, 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 the mesh guard on the, on the cage, walked along the girder, and there was a ladder in place. That looked dangerous to me in the first place to do what he did, but that's what he did. Glenn goes into the cabin, takes his bag off, you know, takes his flask out, puts it on side. I'm gonna press the button to let Jack up when he's on. So he's waiting for a shout from Jack. I'm on, wrap me up, send me to the top. He waited a little bit and then he didn't hear from Jack. So Glenn knows there's something up. He knows he's gone down, so he goes to see what's up and uh, he stuck his head over the top of the shaft. He could see down, he could see Jack's light or see that Jack had fell 30 metres into all the girder work at the bottom. So there was a mix-up with who was where in the tiered cage lift and the deck that Jack was expecting to walk onto to take him back up to the surface wasn't where he thought it was. On top of that, something that came out in the investigation, it seems the hydraulic system on the cage was faulty, preventing it from aligning correctly with Jack's platform. And although it was an illegal requirement, the locking mechanism that was on the cage gate was broken. The miners told me that the lighting was inadequate. Two lights were broken and two were reduced because of the coal dust. And it's easy to see how, if he was running late, Glenn could possibly have felt pressurised to relieve Jack and not follow procedure by going back to the surface and descending on the correct tier of the cage. So we can see how the holes in our slices of Swiss cheese, the defence layers, have aligned to create the perfect storm. And Jack stepped off his platform and fell into a 30-metre shaft. I'm Adam Christopher and you're listening to the Active Training Team podcast. This episode, I'm talking to Robbie, Tony and Chris about their experiences in the mining industry. We've heard about the circumstances that led to the tragic fatality at Maltby Colliery in 2009. We're going to explore the part that relationships and behaviour play in safety culture. But before I get on to that, I just want to touch on something that we sometimes don't think too much about. What happens immediately after an incident? Here's Robbie again. Straight away, I've got a cordon two areas off because now it's a crime scene. As everybody knows, we go through scenario, it's a crime scene. We don't know what's gone off, so everything then is froze. Nobody can touch anything, can't touch the body, can't touch anything. Obviously, the mines rescue in Mansfield got notified, so they come. I can't go nowhere. So our union office having a cup of tea and that, then... I had to go and see a police interview, and that's when I said, when I was in there watching you doing that, every word I said, they were writing down. And it's not till you've gone through all that incident, and that incident, what you did with that uh, epic, I found it so real, because I went through that. For witnesses, the trauma of a tragic event can be compounded by the police and HSC investigation. Thankfully for Robbie, he knew he'd followed correct procedure. But that process of having to talk to the police can be incredibly stressful. ATT's work has to be authentic, and what Robbie's referring to there is during our epic induction day, participants go into a police interview suite and are questioned about what they have witnessed in our story. It has to be lifelike to make the day a memorable experience for everyone. Another question we need to ask ourselves when exploring the death of Jack Fisher is, 
what part does experience play in all this? As Chris, Tony and Robbie were quick to explain, Jack was a very experienced miner. He was liked and respected by his colleagues, good at his job and would enforce the rules. His, his job's all right because he's doing it for years. And there's a saying in the court, I used to tell my men when I had a toolbox talk, familiar to be his contempt. Yeah. I've used it all my mining life. Doing it day in, day out. Don't think no one can hear you because you know you you think you know it's like driving a car. Nobody just tell you to drive, you can drive a car. When you worked for Mines Rescue, if you were doing a talk, the first thing you always used to say was, Who do you think has most accidents at work? And ninety percent of people would say young'uns, apprentices. And it's not. It's people who've done the same job day in, day out for thirty five years. 40 years, because like Tony says, it breeds contempt, mm. doesn't it? It won't, it won't happen to me. I wonder if what we're saying here is familiarity breeds complacency. And how much did complacency play a part in what happened to Jack? And mix that complacency with the attitude of it won't happen to me, and what do we get? Let's talk about the outcomes for the people connected with this, the ripple effect. With Glenn, uh, Glenn kept his job. Uh, I think he had time off work, obviously, because we were very traumatised, very traumatised. And uh, it's something you didn't really talk to him much about because, obviously, as far as Glenn, it, it won't right what happened to Jack and Glenn feels to blame for it anyway, you know. And Robbie's only too aware of the responsibility he has to enforce the rules. And supervisors, really, it's all right saying I can do a supervisor or be a supervisor, but you've got to make sure you've got to have the goal to say... I'm not doing it. Because if you haven't, you're putting your own line because at the end of the day, it's down to you. All them fingers could have been pointing at me. Talking to Robbie, it was clear that he wished he could have done something to stop all this happening. But his workload that day stopped him getting to Jack any sooner than he did. And Jack's 30-metre fall killed him instantly. Once Jack had fallen, there was nothing Robbie could have done to save him. I asked the guys what an incident like this does to team morale. Oh, it's horrendous. It's horrendous because it could be me. It could be Robbie, it could be Chris, my wife and kids, and they're not going on. But morale, and more specifically team spirit, might be what saves your life. Terrible, isn't it? I mean, you, don't forget, that even though this, this accident happened, there's a few accidents happened, there haven't been many deaths in mine. No. Because of the rules and regulations. and And... It's not the rules and regulations, it is that, but it's your mate looking after your back. And you can't argue with your mate or dislike him because at the end of the day, if you have an accident, he's got to carry you out on your stretcher. So we're relying on that man to carry you out, saving your life. We've been to a few funerals over the years and, well, basically all picked turns out, they all go to a funeral. Uh, day off, not bothered about being paid, they go to pay respects to him because, well, it, it gets upset to me when I think about it now. But, you know, you you'd do anything not for that guy to get hurt. We try as best. And it is an harsh environment and it is a pressurised environment because it won't be if you don't get coal out, we'll shoot you. You know, we've got a competitive price. So we know why we're going to work. We know we're trying to get a job done. We know what we're trying to do. But also, we also know we, we can say no and they get support, most people. I mean, your first thoughts are for the family, obviously. And then it's human nature. People look for someone to blame or did someone do something wrong? And you, there's a lot of things. You all stick together, you get closer, I think, don't you? 
I've spent more time with my workforce than I have with my partner. Yeah, definitely. So you know everything about it. So it's not just horrific that he's died, but it's horrific because you know who's involved. You know about the character and the person. A real sense of working as a team and taking responsibility are at play here. You can have all the procedure in the world, but if how you work isn't reflected in the attitude and actions of all concerned, does the procedure count for anything? Chris went on to say. A long time ago, when I first started our work as a young'un, a guy got killed. And there were an accident, and I ended up going in and clearing way to get the stretch out. I knew the guy had died, but like Robbie and Tony said, you can't pronounce him dead. And at the time, I think I was about 18 year old. And obviously, village is like everything gets round, doesn't it? And I had guys that I didn't even know that worked at other pits coming up in pub. Chris Hale, I'll have a pint, sit down. Come on, let it out, son. These were guys that I didn't even know but worked at other pits so they knew what were happening to me. And, you know, they went out of the way to come and speak to me and make sure I were all right. Laura Forrest Hay was ATT's lead facilitator the day Chris, Robbie and Tony took part in our epic induction for the Tideway project and she remembers a key moment in that day. Do you remember when we were talking in the bigger group in the canteen and that other man who wasn't with you guys said, what's the one word you'd use to, that describes how you keep each other safe, how you stay safe. Do you remember that? Because I was really struck by your togetherness. answer. Hmm? Togetherness. You said, one of you said camaraderie. Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Someone said togetherness. Yeah, yeah. And it was that, and he, but that was specifically is keeping you safe. Oh, yeah. And that, that's when I thought this is, this is something really interesting. When I were contracting, I've worked with men, and this bloke could have called you everything. And I mean insulted you more than you lot could ever imagine. Yet, you'd still watch his back. Chris showing just how important it is not only to trust your colleagues, but also to keep you cool in a pressurised and sometimes emotional environment. And occupying the right emotional state is essential to making good decisions, communicating effectively, and to be receptive to others. Tony expands on this. If you could have had everybody on a, on a work site as a middle fish, you know, you've got your, your quiet fish, you've got your middle fish, and you've got your authority fish. Oh, yeah. If you could have everybody as a middle fish, life would be quite Second good. Circle, you yeah, can talk yeah. and talk back, no shouting, no peer pressure, just all doing your job, whether from your managers down to your, your kid who's just started. If everybody's a middle fish, a lot, a lot would be easier for everybody in life. All our programmes at Active Training Team explore how we manage our emotions. How do we get into the right emotional state to stay calm and in control, to occupy what we call second circle? Or as Tony calls it, be middle fish. It could be what ensures that everyone goes home safe and healthy at the end of a shift. Sadly, too many people are killed as a result of how they or others work, and we're committed to ensuring that stories like Jack Fisher's happen less and less. Keeping the conversation open is just part of that process, and I'm grateful to Chris McMicken, Tony Carter, and Robbie Nixon for talking to me. Thanks also to Satch from the Burroughs team and to Laura Forrest Hay for facilitating that original workshop at Epic, and to our partners at Epic, all those on the Tideway project. 
Don't forget that our other episodes are available on iTunes and SoundCloud. So far, we've spoken to major figures in renewable energy and road safety, and we have some inspirational women in construction lined up for a future episode. We'd really appreciate a review and a share to spread the word, and we're always open to your feedback. Find us at activetrainingteam.co.uk and on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Adam Christopher. My producer is Freya Hellier. Thanks, Freya. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.